This is BoroughCast from Scarborough Borough Council. Hello and thanks for streaming or downloading this podcast from Scarborough Borough Council. This is the August edition of BoroughCast with Andy Carter and me, Gabrielle Janzio. The school summer holidays are coming to an end and if you're a parent, it's quite likely your attention is turning to the new school term. Getting children equipped with all they need for an academic year is quite a chore. So we do hope you had a relaxing August. Here's what you can expect in this edition of BoroughCast. We'll ask the man in charge of the borough's bins why he needs our help with recycling. We find out more about a £540 million devolution deal for North Yorkshire. And we look forward to Whitby's Fish and Ships Festival next month. But first, England lioness Beth Mead, who grew up in Whitby, is to be officially honoured for her and her team's success in the 2022 Euros. The 27-year-old was named Player of the Tournament and won the Golden Boot for the match, in which, of course, England now famously beat Germany 2-1 in the final at Wembley. We're hoping to welcome Beth to Town Hall so we can formally celebrate her amazing career to date as soon as her busy schedule allows. What the Lionesses achieved was amazing on so many levels. They lifted the nation's mood, they are an inspiration to girls and young women, and of course they made history. As a borough, we now have a second fantastic female sporting role model in Beth Mead. Earlier this year, we recognised the success of England rugby star and former Scarborough resident Zoe Oldcroft with a civic reception at Town Hall. Our council leader, Steve Siddons, was asked about how best to honour Beth as part of our sister podcast, In Conversation With. Beth is another good example of how young people can can really change their life prospects and, and do great things. Beth has shown that her skills have, have really pushed her further and further uh, up, up the ladder of success and created a something that other young people will hopefully aspire to. And and I think it's really important that we do recognise that. And I, and I look forward to, to meeting Beth and having discussions with her about how she got where she's got and seeing whether there's anything more we can do uh, as a council to ensure that all young people and, and older people for that matter get the opportunity to be the best at whatever they can be. And, uh, and I think that's really, really important. I don't want anybody left behind in this. So um, well done, congratulations, and, uh, and I look forward to meeting you. Before we move on, don't forget, you can listen to the full edition of In Conversation With by visiting scarborough.gov.uk forward slash podcasts, where you can download or stream all our content. And if you have a question for the leader in his next podcast, Send it, along with your name and where you live, to podcasts at scarborough.gov.uk. 
Next, we're going to talk a load of rubbish. Well, recycling, actually. When you pay your council tax, roughly 13 pence in every one pound comes to us to provide the local services we know you value and appreciate. The rest goes to the county council and other organisations. One of the services we provide is waste collection. We empty about 70,000 bins every week, including the curbside blue recycling bins, which are large enough to take all of the items that can be reused. Many of you are awesome recyclers and you help us week in, week out by putting the right stuff into the blue bin and you routinely rinse or wash items before adding them to the recycling. However, we've recently noticed increasing amounts of items which contaminate the bin. Nappies, wood, polystyrene, carrier bags, PPE such as COVID masks, plastic film, waste food and even old VHS tapes should not be put in the recycling. Those all need to go in the green bin for general rubbish. Blue bins containing the wrong materials affect the recycling process and they can't be accepted at the plant which sorts out the waste. It does mean the contents of whole bins may simply have to be thrown away. Harry Briggs is our colleague who runs the bin collection service here and I'm delighted to say he joins us now. Welcome to Boroughcast, Harry. Thank you, everyone. You're here on Boroughcast this time to talk to us about a slight issue we've got with um, contamination rates rising in our recycling collections. I think it's worth saying, isn't it, that the vast majority of people and our residents across the borough do a fantastic job. They help us week in, week out by putting the right items in their bin, rinsing out um, food containers that we are able to collect. But we've got a bit of a problem and we call it contamination. So what is that issue we're facing at the moment? Contamination is a broad topic, really, um, from non-target material is the the official term, which is stuff that's in the blue bin that we don't want or that our scheme isn't designed to be able to process. So that may be plastic bags, it could be polystyrene, it could be nappies, even things like coffee pods that people buy. And it's confusing for residents because sometimes manufacturers and suppliers put the recycling logo on there. But in reality, it's not recyclable in the majority of uh, local authority collection schemes such as ours. And certainly we can't recycle all the items that people put in there. So we just ask residents to stick to the message that we give out there. We want their plastic bottles, we want their food and drink cans, glass bottles and jars. So we don't want thing, we don't want things like window glass or anything like that because that's a different type of glass. But any glass bottles or jars, we want those in there. We want paper and cardboard and magazines. And if people put those items in, then we can make sure that we recycle those into good quality recycling. If they put the wrong items in, then it can mean that the items that can be recycled normally can't be because they've got oil on them or they're in other way ruined. And we don't want that. We want to make sure that the material we collect is recycled and recycled back into paper, into glass bottles and jars or into new food and drink cans. Now, it's worth pointing out, isn't it, that um, sadly, if we find contamination in one of our recycling bins, there is a risk that all of those materials in that one container may have to be thrown away. Is that the case? Yeah, it's difficult, really, because our collection crews work so fast on the on the doorstep. They don't have time to sift through the entire the, the entire bin. So if they find something on the top of the bin, then we have to assume that that 
material is all the way through the bin and it might not be it may just be one carrier bag but we have to assume that because they quickly need to move on to the next house and onto the next street we try and ensure that everything is good quality recycling on the doorstep to protect the interests and the efforts of everyone else on the street so one person doesn't ruin an entire street's worth of recycling or worst case scenario an entire load of recycling because that's absolutely not what we want because once it's bulked up then it gets transferred onto the, uh, the reprocessor and we want to make sure that everyone's efforts are rewarded and uh, it's all recycled back into uh, into new material. I suppose we should probably cover off the point and explain to residents why this is a problem and we see contamination as an issue. What's the kind of the outcome of contaminated recycling being sent to the processes ending up in the system do we get a penalty for instance yeah we do get a penalty because our our scheme is designed to collect the paper and cans plastic bottles and card and paper if we're giving the reprocessor stuff that they are not designed to to do uh, such as polystyrene or nappies it causes them problems because depending on what it is if say they put a a t-shirt in then that can bind around the machinery can slow the operation down and every time it's slowed down, then that means it costs that reprocessor more money and they have to dispose of that material. So it really does have a, a big knock on and it only takes a little bit from each person to add up cumulatively to a big impact across the borough. So it really is important that we all do our bit and remind ourselves, I mean, the scheme's been running for 13 years now, so it's stayed largely the same. So it's really important that we take this opportunity to remind ourselves what can and what cannot go in the blue bin and providing everything that goes in is correct then we will have no issues. Um, let's just deal with the issue then of to rinse out food containers or not. I caught my sister the other day not rinsing out some plum tomatoes. I quickly wagged my finger at her in a nagging kind of way uh, because it is important that food containers like yogurt pots, uh, baked bean tins etc etc are rinsed out before they go into the recycling. That's right isn't it? We don't expect them to be spotless or anything like that. I mean, we've got to be reasonable, but we don't want food. If you've got like half a pot of yogurt and that goes into the the blue bin, then invariably when it's compacted in the back of the wagon, that yogurt's going to end up over other items. And that may mean it covers a newspaper or a magazine. And that'll mean that magazine and newspaper probably won't be able to be recycled anymore because it's it's soiled by food waste. And by the time it gets to the processor, dairy will be uh, pretty unpleasant. But it's also from a, a hygiene point of view from your own blue bin. We want that material to be clean as, as possible. But we accept, you know, it's got to be reasonable in that regard. But we want empty containers. A quick rinse out would be great but it's, it's really important that it's empty as well. The definitive list of what we will accept and what we cannot accept or what we want you to do with the materials we can't accept in the recycling is on our website. We'll put a link in the show notes to this podcast so that people can go direct to that and that's the definitive answer. If you're ever unsure, listeners, just go on the website and there's a every, the, the list of everything we can and can't take is on there for you to, to read. Um, Harry, thank you very much indeed for your time today and a pleasure to welcome you to Boroughcast this time. Thank you very much. You're listening to Boroughcast, a podcast from Scarborough Borough Council. We'd like to tell you about two important issues that we need your views on now. The first relates to the issue of council tax. Plans have been put forward to move to a single way of offering support for council tax across the whole of North Yorkshire. That's right, Andy. There are currently different approaches because the County Council and the seven district and borough authorities make their own arrangements for how bills are reduced. Ahead of all eight councils being scrapped next year, it has been decided to merge the support schemes into one, and we think this makes much more sense. 
One council tax reduction scheme will make claiming easier, will provide up to 100% support for households on the lowest incomes and work better with the universal credit system. Although some households may end up paying a little more, the proposals include a plan for a hardship fund, so anyone affected who needs additional help will get it. A consultation on the proposed new scheme is now underway. We've added a link to it in the description box for this podcast and would really appreciate you adding your views. The deadline for comments is the 18th of September, so bear in mind the consultation may have closed by the time you listen to this podcast. Meanwhile, if you live in parts of Scarborough, you're getting the chance to comment on plans to create a new town council. Gabrielle's been looking into this in more detail. So, Gabrielle, how has this come about? Well, from April next year, we, the County Council and the six other district and borough councils in North Yorkshire, will of course be replaced by a single new authority, and we've talked about that before. Um, As things currently stand, Scarborough and also Harrogate would have all their services provided by the new council, as they are the only large towns in North Yorkshire not to have a parish or town council. Okay, so what difference does it mean if an area has a parish or town council? Some existing town and parish councils in other parts of the county provide smaller local services and are closely involved in local decision making. They also look after ceremonial functions such as a town mayor. Residents living in these areas pay an additional amount to fund these activities, known as a parish precept, as part of their annual council tax bill. And what's happening then with this consultation? We're now asking for residents' views on whether Scarborough should have a town council in a process known as a community governance review, which is open until the 30th of September. The review will also look at whether minor boundary changes between the Scarborough urban footprint and the neighbouring parish and town councils of Eastfield, Newby and Scorby and Osgoby would be required. So if you live in the Castle, Eastfield, Falsgrave and Stepney, Northstead, Weaponess and Ramshill or Woodlands wards in Scarborough, you'll be sent a letter about the consultation and it will explain how you can take part. Well that's great if someone can get on the internet but what about the alternatives? So if you or someone you know doesn't have easy online access, information packs can be collected from the Town Hall in Scarborough and also Scarborough Eastfield and Newbin Scorby Libraries. Excellent, thanks Gabrielle. Let's take a short break now from news to bring you the part of this podcast you can contribute to. In fact, it rather relies on your input if it's to be successful. We call it the Sounds of the Borough. If you are familiar with the principle of slow radio or you listen to Paddy O'Connell on Radio 4 on a regular basis, you'll know what this is all about. Our borough, of course, is visually stunning, but we also think it's audibly interesting as well. For this month, we're getting boozy as we listen to the sounds of the bottling process at World Top Brewery near Filey.
Our thanks go to Kate Balchin, the boss there, and her colleagues at World Top Brewery for that recording. You heard the bottles having their labels applied, then moving through to the beer filling station, and then onto the machine which puts the full bottles into their cardboard boxes. What we didn't capture or include there was the sound of the bottle being opened and the satisfying tones of a glass being filled with refreshingly cold beer. If you'd like to submit your own Sound of the Borough recording, we'd love to hear it. Please send it along with your name and where you live to podcasts at scarborough.gov.uk. You're listening to Boroughcast, a podcast from Scarborough Borough Council. So on to investment news now, and we have some big numbers to bring you this month. The first is £2 million. That's what we're preparing to spend on an extension to a scheme to spruce up our seaside towns. We first reported this in the May edition of this podcast. In Scarborough, we're planning to spend £870,000. In Whitby, our investment is £865,000. And we've got £190,000 for Filey. And also £75,000 has been allocated for our coastal villages. The work is already underway and you may have noticed the work of a talented team of artists who've been painstakingly restoring murals at Bland's Cliff. We've got lots of other jobs to carry out too and you'll notice our teams and contractors out and about across the borough in the coming months. We'll keep you posted. Next, £10 million. That's what's going to be invested in a new maritime training facility in Whitby. It's the biggest project of our £17.1 million Towns Deal investment in Whitby, which will see Endeavour Wharf transformed. The hub will provide training and certification opportunities for the maritime, marine and offshore renewable industries. It will also address a need to develop a better supply of technical abilities to meet the demand in both developing new skills and recertification. There will also be accommodation for maritime businesses and service providers to support economic growth within the local community. Finally, in this investment news section, our next figure is £540 million. That's a big figure to say. That's what's coming to our county over the next 30 years to invest in local services. We, along with the County Council, City of York Council and the six other district and borough councils in North Yorkshire, have recently signed a devolution deal with government. As well as the money, powers will be transferred, so decisions on issues such as transport, skills, regeneration, homes and economic growth will be made here and not in Whitehall. Here's our council leader, Steve Siddons, to explain more. I've been involved in this discussion for probably two years or more now. And originally, the amount of money that we were being offered was higher than what we seem to be ending up with now, which is disappointing. But I'm reliably told that this happens in in a number of devolution deals and that, that it's flexible and that over time, we will probably get more money. And I hope that that's true. Obviously, we're in a, a pretty difficult situation financially at the at the moment and uh, that is bound to have an impact on that but i think the headline figure is that we we hope to be able to get round about 25 million pounds a year for the next 30 years to spend on on specific things that affect the whole area and i, I hope that uh, when a new mayor is elected because that's part of the devolution deal uh, that's a mayor for the whole of north yorkshire and york Uh, we will see 
some of those changes come come into effect. So it'd be great to see better transport links with the coast. It would be great to see more green opportunities arise and uh, and so on. And uh, I look forward to the benefits that those things bring. And I, I genuinely hope that 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 does happen. That was Steve Siddons speaking on our sister podcast in conversation with. Turning our attention to Whitby now and a weekend-long celebration of the town's maritime and fishing heritage will take place next month when the Fish and Ships Festival drops anchor on the 24th and 25th of September. The festival will showcase Whitby's strong seafaring traditions and modern-day practices through food, music, art, craft and industry tours with a special focus this time on conservation. From catch to plate, the story of fresh fish and seafood will be told by the proud families that source it and the celebrity chefs who champion it in mouth-watering dishes. Janet Deacon is our Head of Tourism and Culture and Festival Chief, and I'm pleased to say she's joined us on the podcast. Hello, Janet. Hello, Gabrielle. Hello, Andy. We've given a bit of an introduction to the festival there, but tell us about the history of fish and chips, Janet. It started actually with the Cook 250 Festival to commemorate Captain Cook. And following on from that festival, we decided that because it was so successful that we wanted to really continue to showcase the heritage, the maritime heritage of Whitby. So we formed a steering group with some key representatives from Whitby's fishing families, from the cultural sector and also from the food uh, food sector. And we decided to create what is now the Fish and Ships Festival. So this year, year it'll be the third festival the first festival we held in 2019 prior to covid and then we had a, a digital festival throughout covid and then this year is this is the second physical festival in the town from what we understand you have there are a lot of businesses and organizations that do get involved in the festival and actually pulling it together to make it such a great event We've got a whole range of different businesses from seafood restaurant businesses such as the Magpie and Quayside. We've got cultural groups from the Whitby Heritage Group, so the Captain Cook Museum, from the Whitby Jet Museum, the Whitby Panic Art Gallery. And also we, we were involved heavily with the schools as well. So the schools are really engaging with us on, on these festivals and they're creating some fantastic artwork that we're going to be unveiling at the festival. Um, And of course, to, you know, make this event possible, it's a true partnership between the council and the community, including local businesses. It absolutely is, Gabrielle. I mean, they've really taken this festival to the heart of Whitby. We've got fishing families that have been fishing for decades in Whitby that are really involved in this. In the fish market, for example, they're going to be doing some net mending, fish filleting. They're going to be doing talks about the different types of fish because, again, one of the key things of this festival is, is around sustainability, sustainability of fish. So talking about the different species that you can cook with and enjoy. And also, we've now got the, the lobster hatchery of course which is just opening as well and they're going to be doing tours over the festival as well so this is really a true Whitby festival with the heart of it being delivered and embraced by Whitby residents. Excellent thank you Janet it sounds like a brilliant event and um, there's a link to the full fish and ship program in the description box for this podcast. We finish this edition of BoroughCast by continuing the coastal theme. The beach at South Bay in Scarborough has been voted one of the best in the country. Listeners to the Today programme on BBC Radio 4 were invited to send audio clips 
all written submissions about their favourite seaside spots before a panel chose the best. South Bay's success is down in part to the amazing words and passion from Scarborough artist and businessman Adrian Riley, who runs a company in the town called Electric Angel. He called his recording a typographical love letter to Scarborough. Here's just a sample of what he sent to the BBC. This relatively quiet working town became somewhere filled with opportunists and uh, people tempting you to eat this, drink this, come and see this show, come and experience this fantastic spectacle of uh, British seaside, this thing we are inventing on the fly. And if you look at these signs, yeah, as an artist and designer who works in, in words and letters, these are just fascinating and a, and a typographer will will point out the different typographic styles. It's, uh, there's a Tuscan typeface, that style there is Egyptian, that one is a, a fat face. And these all have their roots in that initial boom time of Scarborough, except today they're not just painted signs but lit with bulbs and, and neon and uh, and mirror and and any kind of device to grab your attention away from the natural beauty of the bay and, and tempt you to to spend a little of your your money enjoying the, the more commercial pleasures of a seaside but so for me this stroll on the beach is is a, a typographic journey where uh, i can see the the history of the the seaside spelt out in letter forms, in serifs, in strokes, in drop shadows, and I can read where where Scarborough has come from in this fabulous graphic display of the British seaside. Well, based on that, I think we need to introduce Poetry Corner for this podcast, so we could have perhaps a story for Scalby, or a recital for Robin Hood's Bay, an ode to Osgoodby, or a feature for Filey. Well, anyway, whatever we decide, that's it for this edition of BorougHcast. Before we go, let's quickly look ahead to next month's podcast, which will be published towards the end of September. We'll bring you news of the final proposed Filey investment plan and update you on a project we are calling Better Homes. In the meantime, thanks for listening. From Gabrielle and me, Andy, goodbye. For more news and information about the services we provide, visit scarborough.gov.uk.